As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT CARES Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash UNTCares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, produced by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. This podcast features conversations with UNT faculty, other subject matter experts, and lifelong learners in our community. To learn more about our courses and events, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu, or send us an email at olli.unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ali at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Annette Isaacs. Annette did her graduate work at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, at the University of Vienna, and at the Free University in Berlin. She holds not one, but several master's degrees in American studies, political science, and history. As well as being German-born and raised, Annette is an expert on her native country, introducing thousands of American, British, and yes, even Germans, to programs and lectures on various topics on Germany. She has been ranked as one of the most popular instructors in the Rhodes Scholars series, with her seminar on German opera and classical music. Welcome, Annette. Thank you so much, Susan, for having me. We go down so many different fascinating roads with the variety of lectures that you offer and your expertise on so many different topics pertaining to Germany's culture, history, politics, and society. Let's focus on one today that seems so very appropriate as we record during Women's History Month. Bertha Benz and her extraordinarily, and I mean that sincerely, extraordinary and largely unknown role, at least to me, in the German automotive industry. Germany and its relationship with fine cars is legendary. Porsche, BMW, Audi, and of course the Mercedes-Benz all fit into that category. But how many people know the story of Bertha Benz's contribution to the acceptance of her husband, Carl Ben's design of the automobile? Few, I would guess, certainly not me. Let's start with an introduction to her early years. Where was she born and what was her life like growing up? Yes, I do have to say, you know, that I am, because you were also saying that I am a German historian and a public educator, I am talking about 30 different topics when I do my presentations, but this Bertha Benz and the history of the automobile, I actually call it the amazing adventure of Bertha Benz, is really one of my favorites. And she is such a wonderful person, such a spunky person. She was born in 1849 uh, in southern Germany, in the city of Pforzheim, which is very close to the uh, Black Forest. 
And so she actually came from a rather well-to-do family. Her parents, or rather her father, started out as a carpenter. And then later on, he became a, a, quite a successful real estate developer. And so then, of course, um, unfortunately, you know, there were many children. There were nine children. And that's why Bertha wasn't able to inherit too, too much. But we will talk about that a little later. <laughs> but she was the third daughter of five daughters and four sons. And two of her older sisters, which is uh, quite um, interesting for your American audience, two, her two older sisters were actually marrying people, German men, but then they were moving to Milwaukee, of all places. So they lived in America. So uh, she has this uh, little family connection to America. And uh, yeah, and she was always, she was a gifted child, not I mean, not gifted, as we would nowadays say, but she was very interested in everything. She was very intelligent. Uh, she went to the uh, School of Higher Daughters, which was um, uh, also something that not everybody got to do. You know, the uh, girls at that point in history were not really encouraged to go to high school or middle school and so on. So this is, of course, the middle of the 19th century. So she went to the school. She learned English, French, math, geometry, um, all kinds of history, all kinds of um, subjects. But she also, of course, was a daughter of her time. So she also had to go to a singing school, to dancing. She had to, to go to a finishing school, <laughs> of course. You know, she was uh, going to be, uh, maybe in this country, you would say a, a debutante. <laughs> but uh, in, in Germany, we don't really have, have that. Yeah, and then she met this young, promising man. <laughs> and that was Carl Benz, I'm assuming. Exactly. And uh, it was such a cute story because Carl Benz, uh, so he was five years older than Bertha, and he uh, was an engineer. He, he was actually born in Karlsruhe, and that's also relatively, you know, in the south of, of Germany. And so he went to the Polytechnic University, uh, Polytechnic College, or you would say Universität in German. And there he uh, got a degree as an engineer. And then he moved to Pforzheim. And his mother uh, encouraged him. You know, she, she would say, you know, you, you work so hard. You never have any friends. You should make friends. You should actually go to this church picnic. And the funniest thing about it was that at the same time in Pforzheim, in that house of Bertha Winger, because that's her maiden name, her mother was saying, Bertha, you're 20 years old. You should really get out more. <laughs> you should get, you should go to this picnic. Why don't you go to this picnic? And so that's why, you know, in June of 1869, both of these young people went to this picnic and there they fell in love. Oh, they have their mothers to thank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all about the moms. So after they met, they obviously did fall in love. They had a strong connection. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an amazing story with her contribution to realizing what kind of person he was. I mean, she must have realized early on that he was a remarkable individual. Yeah, because the thing is that he, when he was really young, when he was still like a teenager, he would always say, one day I'm going to invent the horseless carriage. And the horseless carriage, I mean, people were like, what is a horseless carriage? What, what are you talking about? And uh, because he always felt very 
bad for the horses, you know, that had such a pitiful existence in the 19th century, because that, of course, they were our only form of transportation. And so he thought there must be a way to create a horseless carriage. And so when he would walk around telling people about it, they would look at him with a side eye, I guess. And Berta was the first person who didn't. And actually, Berta's mom, she was also, she was also quite supportive. And she said, hey, that's a good idea, because she was also a big fan of horses. And she also didn't really like the fact that these poor horses uh, would work so hard, you know, as horse taxis, horse trams, and so on. And then the thing, though, was that Berta's father, like every self-respecting father, uh, was not very happy with this union, uh, because when Karl went to Berta's father and asked for her hand, he said, no. <laughs> he said, you know, a man with crazy ideas in his head, but with no money to actually turn them into reality, this is not a good match for my daughter. But, of course, Berta was looking at her father and said, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, she, she was very head, headstrong. And so just a couple of days later, her father said, well, do what you want. Marry him. You know, because the thing is that she was 20. And at that, that time in history, if you were already 20, you needed to get married quick. You know, And, uh, yeah, so uh, that is why they got uh, engaged in 1870. Unfortunately, that was the year where Carl's mother died. You know, oh, that was a devastating, devastating blow to, to Carl. He then went uh, to Vienna because he got a job as a bridge building engineer. He hated it there, though. He was not a fan of this big city. And so he only stayed there for five months. But when he comes back to Germany, so he actually meets a friend, uh, from uh, the Polytechnic University in uh, Karlsruhe. So this, and this friend uh, by the name of August Witter. And so those two men uh, decide that they want to get into business together. And they uh, are moving to Mannheim, which is about 62 miles away from Pforzheim, so from where Berta lives. Of course, Berta lives with her parents. This is the 19th century. She's not moving in without being married. So that's why uh, she is staying with her parents. And Karl and August Witter move to Mannheim, about 62 miles away, where they then start the iron foundry and mechanical workshop and in that business they are creating accessories one could say for the building industry like wall hooks or pipe clamps or gutter brackets these sort of things and of course Carl he's still of course in the back of his mind he still of course is always thinking about the horseless carriage but he doesn't have any money to uh, to turn this into a reality and so it turns out, though, that this August Witter is quite an unfocused person. You know, the uh, oh, and then the other thing that also both men didn't have any money. So they had to have a big bank loan um, with high interest. And so the bank uh, is calling them every day. I mean, not literally because of the 19th century, but they are being con confronted by the, by the bank, you know, and they, they just can't pay the, the loan back. August Witter is just not interested in the business. And so Berta, at one point in 1872, in the spring of 1872, she takes the train, she visits her, uh, her husband-to-be uh, in uh, Mannheim, and she kind of sees the mess a little bit, you know, about uh, that, that, they are, that the business is not doing well. 
And so she somehow gets into a little bit of a tiff, one could say, screaming match <laughs> with August Witter. And then August Witter looks at her and says, excuse me, you're a woman. I mean, why would I have a woman talk to me that that way? And so he is immediately, yeah, she's uh, he's kind of leaving the company and he is suing Carl for half of the, of the company. And of course, Carl doesn't have any money. So that's, of course, a big problem. But Let's think back at what we have already talked about. Who has money? Somebody in our <laughs> story has money. And it is, of course, Bertha's father. It is Carl Friedrich Winger. And so Bertha takes the train back, comes back to Fordsheim, meets, uh, is of course, uh, uh, yeah, talking to her father and says, listen, I need my dowry. And her father says... <laughs> You aren't even married. I'm not going to give you your dowry if you're not even married yet. But she must have been very convincing uh, because three days later, he gives her an impressive amount of money. He gives her 4,244 gold marks, which was the currency at the time. And it's kind of difficult to say, you know, how much money is that in today's money? But historians have kind of figured out that with that kind of money, she would have been able to buy a beautiful house. You know, not like a huge mansion, but it's obviously it's a lot of money. And so uh, her father, though, says, and this is very important, her father says, look, Berta, I am giving this to you as your dowry, but I'm also giving this to you as your premature inheritance. So when I die, don't think that you get anything else. And Berta, of course, like, like every, every daughter, is not really taking her father too seriously. She takes all the money, every penny of it. She gives it to Carl. And then Carl is able to you know, pay August Winter back. But still, that, that bank loan that they, they have still is haunting him and his new bride. And with bride, of course, I mean Berta, because they get married uh, in July of 1872. And that is exciting because they then, Berta immediately moves to Mannheim. Well, you know, already at this point, and we're not really even into the gist of what this woman has done in her life, but already at this point, she's extraordinary in the fact that first she knew when she met Carl that he was something other than just a guy with a crazy idea in his head and no money. Right. And she insisted on being able to marry him, which is really something. And then the fact that she invested all of that money into his desires in that factory, which were not just, I mean, she doesn't strike me as the kind of woman that just is doing this just out of uh, a crazy romantic notion. She's aware of things. She, She believes in this man, right? So they're married. And what happens then? (laughs) All is not roses, right? No, no, unfortunately. Because the thing is now, Berta, you know, she has been, she has grown up uh, in a very comfortable environment, obviously. But now she uh, is moving into the workshop. So actually, because they don't have money for additional living quarters. So that, uh, so part of their workshop is now going to be their their place where they are living. And so uh, that, of course, was not very comfortable. And she then also, you know, she 
she's learning a whole new life. You know, she she basically uh, at that point in history, of course, everybody every little tiny town had a public fountain, so she would have to go to the public fountain a couple of times a day. She would have to get water. She also started a vegetable garden, so that she was uh, able to save some money on groceries. And of course, they were uh, newly married. They were very much in love. And then in the beginning of uh, or like more like March or so um, of uh, 1873, Eugen is born. That's the first son. And then at the end of 1874, so there must be Irish twins or how, how, how you would call it, Richard is born. So she, she has these two boys, uh, which is also um, no small feat, you know, that you actually in the 19th century um, are having a pregnancy or going through with the pregnancy. Everything is going well. The, chi- the, the children are healthy. That's great, you know. Yeah, and so they have these two kids, but uh, still the, the, the money problems are a big problem, really. And then, though, now, you know, they, they can't even ask the father for, for help because Berta's father is then passing away. And so Berta then goes to the to the reading of the will, to the funeral. And so, of course, she is, of course, uh, she, of course, has totally forgotten the fact that her father said, listen, if I give you the money, this is your premature inheritance. So, of course, she's thinking, look, I'm, a, I'm going to this uh, funeral. And, of course, then uh, I'm, I'm going to inherit money. No, <laughs> she did not. Her father was dead serious. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, yes, yeah, so <laughs> actually uh, did not get anything because the thing was that Bertha's mother was 20 years younger than Bertha's father, and there were nine children, you know, and although her father's estate was quite a, quite a large, it was in, uh, in that, uh, in, in 1870s money, 140,000, I mean, that must be millions now in today's money, but still, you know, there were so many children, and, you know, to add insult to injury was that she, uh, she realizes at that time, you know, when the notary, when the lawyer is reading the will that her father had actually given her too much money and that she owes 600 marks to her sisters in Milwaukee. (laughs) She was so disappointed. So she then comes home, you know, again, takes the train from Fordsheim to Mannheim, comes home to her family. A little bit later, she's realizing, oops, I'm pregnant yet again. (laughs) So she has her third child, and that is Clara. A girl by the name of Clara. Yeah, and then um, in 1876, they are the Benz family goes for a for a walk. So this is something very very German. So this is something every German family does. That we call that spazieren. We go for for a walk, and uh, especially doing uh, in in the uh, on the weekends, you know. And then usually we would go to a cafe house afterwards and then eat. <laughs> eat uh, eat cake but they went for a walk with the three little kids and then all of a sudden Berta uh, looks at Carl and says you need to get going here with your horseless carriage we need to to really start planning this because oh and then another very important um, aspect that I uh, did forget is on Berta's 27th birthday which is in 1876 they had to file for bankruptcy actually because their financial situation is so hopeless that they file for bankruptcy. 
but she still, you know, she still believes in the horseless carriage. And so that's why, you know, she is kind of pleading with him. She's saying, you are doing this now. So first, you know, Carl is a little taken aback by the fact that his his wife is kind of pleading with him. But then he remembers that he has uh, actually um, read an article in the newspaper about an inventor in kind of in the west of Germany near Cologne. And this inventor created a four-stroke engine. And the name of this inventor is Nikolaus Otto. Of course, everybody knows the Otto engine. And so Carl thought this is if I could get my hands on this engine, then I would be able to do the horseless carriage and I would be able to kind of put this engine into the horseless carriage. But then, of course, he also realized that um, that uh, Nicolas Otto had a huge patent on that, you know, and so uh, he wasn't able to, to use it because you have to pay, you know, for using the patent. And so that is why he realized, I need to now come up with, a, with an engine that is in and of itself unique, you know, so that I can actually also get a patent for my own engine. And so that is then where Berta is, uh, is totally behind him. You know, she sells all her jewelry. She really is um, absolutely uh, yeah, supportive. And so, yeah, and then actually uh, in uh, a couple of years later, because it takes a long time to invent things, uh, they actually in 1879, he has, there it is, you know, this, uh, the, he has invented that, the, the, the two-stroke engine. And so uh, everybody was, of course, elated. And then he, of course, sent the patent application away to um, to Berlin, you know, to the to the patent office there for the empire of the German empire there. And uh, then uh, a little bit later, a, a person comes into the workshop, and that is a person by the name of Emil Bühler. And Emil Bühler fancied himself a self-made millionaire and a court photographer. <laughs> he was you you could have seen he was a little shady you know when, when he comes in that in that uh, workshop and so uh, he looks at this engine and he says what is that and then Berta actually was uh, there she was in the workshop at the time she said this is my husband's invention it's an engine and then he and then Emil Bühler says can one make money with this and Berta says yes a lot of money if you want to invest sure <laughs> so, and then Emil Bühler actually is investing in this uh, company and so he and Carl are creating uh, the gas engine factory and that is in um, in Mannheim. And so uh, business is relatively good. But then, of course, Nicolas Otto hears about them. Nicolas Otto, of course, the one who invented the, uh, the Otto engine um, up there in Cologne. And he's not amused, I can tell you, because, of course, he's like, this is my invention. You know, I have created this and uh, and I have the, the patent. So I am going to definitely involve you into a patent dispute and subsequent trial. And that then it is uh, eventually being uh, decided in Karl's favor. So Karl wins this. But of course, trials uh, take lawyers and they cost a lot of money. And so that's when this young company is again running out of funds. 
And now Emil Bühler is really showing his true colors because he gets together with some, one could say shady businessmen in Mannheim. And they, behind Karl Benz's back, are basically buying up the majority of the company. And then they uh, confront him and say, Karl, if you, you can, you can, if you want to, you can stay in your own company, but as a paid employee. And that, of course, when you think of it, what a humiliation for Karl Benz. And so Karl wants to walk away. But then Berta says, oops, I'm pregnant yet again. <laughs> so she has her fourth child. And that is then Matilda. Everybody calls her Tilda. And so Karl says, well, of course, now I have four little tiny kids. I can't leave, but then he, he he has to leave because after like after three four months he just can't stand it, you know. Did Bertha ever report having felt like wanting to give up at some point? She has been through yes. so much. Yes, yes, she has been through so much. When. Uh, Carl is walking away. So this is happening, basically. He's walking away from that company because the humiliation is too much. And that is happening in the late 1870s. Berta is writing a letter to her sister, Amelia, in Milwaukee. And in that letter, she writes, we are approaching our ruin. So this that does not sound very positive. So there she was um, quite unhappy about it. But, you know, just like a year later, Karl is in Munich, I think. He he, he went to some, um, some, some fair, you know, some kind of technical inventors fair or so. And there he meets uh, two uh, businessmen by the name of uh, Max Kaspar Rose and Friedrich Wilhelm Esslinger. And they were very successful businessmen. And they were actually all studying together at the Polytechnic Institute mm. in Karlsruhe. So they were kind of former students, you know, together. And so they um, were uh, talking to Carl and Carl tells them about the fact that he has this, uh, this invention, two stroke engine. And then they say, why don't we all get into business? And then we are creating another like a gas engine factory. And that is then the Benz and Co. Rheinische Motorenfabrik, which means Rhine, you know, the river Rhine uh, engine factory. And so that's happening in uh, 1883. And now we can say, yes, uh, now uh, their lives are turning around. Finally, they can leave that ridiculous <laughs> workshop there where the family has been, been living at all the time. And they, now they have like a real house. And uh, Carl loves all kinds of gadgets. So he, he, uh, he, he gets a, a like a a real toilet in his house, you know, which was also something that not everybody had at this point in history. He has a soaking tub. They have, a, there's a beautiful picture of Berta with her four kids. They are in such a better position because if you take a look at this picture, this buggy that little uh, Matilda is sitting in is actually a, a, was all the rage. It was created in, in England. So, I mean, they were able to actually buy this, you know, so that show, shows us that they are, they have some discretionary income now. But they still don't have the horseless carriage, right? 
They don't have the horseless carriage, but what they do have is a pending 40th birthday. Because as we know, Carl was born in 1844. Now we are at 1884. He's turning 40 and he is getting a little antsy, you know, because, you know, 40, you know, that's in many of our lives, this, this moment, you know, where we are thinking, what have I accomplished and where do I want to go? And so that is when he says, I know where I want to go. I want to create that horseless carriage. One has to say, you know, and this is so fascinating, your um, American car pioneer, Henry Ford, he once also talked about the fact that the, the, the horses were so pervasive in people's minds as the main form of transportation. So even after the automobile was in, invented, people were still saying, why would I have an automobile? I have a horse, you know. And so um, Henry Ford once said this very fascinating sentence, if I had asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, And that is, unfortunately, the same thing that happened in in Germany, too. So when he, when Karl approaches uh, his two uh, partners and says, hey, you know, I have this idea of a horseless carriage, they they all said, why horseless carriage? We have horses. Uh, but, But this time he was saying, no, this is it. I am going to do this now if you want or not. And then they gave in. They gave him a couple of um, conditions. They gave him six months. They gave him 10,000 marks and they gave him six uh, workers. So that would help him with the, with the uh, prototype. And then, of course, Carl was newly invigorated and he worked so hard, you know, every morning. Uh, he was uh, already in his workshop at 5 a.m. and he was late at night still uh, working on his drawing board. And then on May 3rd, 1885, which happened to be Bertha's 36th birthday, the big moment was actually there. The prototype was finished and Bertha uh, and Carl let, let Bertha drive it and Bertha drove it over the incredible distance of 82 feet right into the garden fence. Oh no! The first person in history to have a car accident. But uh, nothing happened. She had several firsts. (laughs) Exactly. She was such a pioneer. Even that, right. Nothing happened to her. Nothing happened to the car. And they were uh, sharing a laugh. They found that all very funny. And so then Carl uh, sends, uh, of course, his uh, patent application away again to Berlin. And then eight months later, January 29th, 1886. So this is actually for everybody who is a car enthusiast. Everybody who is that knows that date because that is exactly it. It's January 29th, 1886, commonly seen as the birth of the automobile. Because that is when Carl Benz gets his worldwide patent. And he gets it 10 years before a certain Henry Ford is uh, getting into his version of the automobile. So uh, that is why, you know, Carl Benz is so celebrated as really the inventor of the automobile. So it's, of course, fun to invent an automobile, but how are you going to uh, market it? Because who's buying it? (laughs) That's the thing when everybody thinks, why would I want to? Oh, and it was expensive. It was 3,000 marks. So you can imagine that's a lot of money, you know, because a working class person only made 30 cents an hour. 
So a working class person would have had to work 10,000 hours to afford uh, this automobile. But of course, if you would have asked Karl Benz, uh, he would have said, well, excuse me, this is not for the working class person. And in a way, our Mercedes Benzes nowadays are also not really for the working class person because they are quite, um, they tend to be quite uh, pricey. And so uh, he, you know, Karl Benz's favorite or kind of target audience was going to be, let's say, a doctor, you know, a doctor who would have to go out on, on house calls, you know, and then rather than having uh, having a horse and put a saddle on the horse and take the horse out of the stable and or putting it onto a little, little carriage and so on, uh, rather than doing that, why not just use the car, you know? But of course, mm, they didn't really sell a lot. They sell maybe 10, <laughs> three years. I mean, it was, it was really ridiculous. My Berta sees this development with worry. And she says, no, uh, this cannot be. After all our trials and tribulations, this automobile is invented and now nobody wants to buy it. No, this is not how, the, how our story is going to go. And so she decides that she also wants to show that even women can actually drive it and that it is a really, really neat and practical vehicle. And so Berta decides that she was going to visit her a mother in Fortsheim, and that is, as we know, 62 miles away. And so she, of course, knew, knew very well that her husband was not going to let her do that. And so that's why she decided to not tell him. <laughs> so basically, Berta was the first car thief in history, too, because she just, she let's say she omitted the fact that she took the car, because she did say, I am visiting my mom. And then he said, sure, do it. But of course, he's assuming that she's taking the train. Uh, but that was not what she wanted to do. But she did take her two little sons, which were not that little anymore. They were 13 and 15, Eugen and... Richard. And so uh, on the 5th of August, it was a Thursday, 5th of August, 1888, the three Benzes were, um, yeah, kind of in a way stealing the car out of the garage there. And it was it had three horsepower. So nowadays, you know, your your listeners who, who know about cars, every car nowadays has, has at least 100 horsepower or maybe 200. And that had three. <laughs> so you can imagine this was not really a fast uh, vehicle. And then they were on their way. They were hopping onto it. And then they were on their way. And of course, Carl, uh, because they happened at like 5 a.m. they were starting. And the two girls and Carl were still sleeping. And so, yeah, and it was it was great. So they were on their way. There were was uh, there there were things happening. Though. Well, I wish I could meet that woman. I wish I could have met her. She's astounding. Uh, the things what? that she did are just incredible. So she's creeping away in the morning with her two sons to go on a trip that doesn't even have roads for cars, right? To go and do something that nobody's ever done before. Exactly. Did she go? Was it fine? Did she have anything happen along the way? Yes, <laughs> of course, there were a lot of things that were happening. So the first thing that she's realizing is that, of course, this is not Germany of nowadays, you know, where we have all these wonderful autobahns. We don't have any signs that are pointing to Fortsheim, you know, so she was thinking, oh, 
I have no idea which way I'm going. And then she was realizing, because she was so so intelligent and so very practical, ah, I just have to orient myself um, uh, close to the train tracks because the train tracks, I know that they are taking me to full time, you know. And so then they they were basically uh, driving um, uh, like parallel in a way to the train tracks. One has to say, though, the first 12 miles were pretty uneventful. Well, I mean, they were, uh, of, of course, a big spectacle everywhere. And sometimes they were, um, they were making the horses shy, you know. So, and then the horses would, would get very upset. And then they would get an earful from the carriage drivers. <laughs> and then the other thing is that after 12 miles, they are realizing that the engine becomes hot. You know, and so they they also realized that they basically had to constantly pour water into the cooler. So basically every 12 miles, they have to make a stop, which is so good because at that point in history, of course, as I mentioned before, every little tiny town has their big fountain, you know, their public fountain. So that was not a problem at all to always get a water that one could put into the cooler. Uh, about 20 miles into uh, their trip, they are now, um, the area gets a little bit more hilly because it's very, that's, it's where the Black Forest is. They're entering the little city of Wiesloch. She's realizing, like, I think every person who has ever had a car, she's realizing, ah, I don't have any fuel. <laughs> I forgot the fuel. Yes. But uh, you did forget the, the fuel. So that was, of course, a big problem. But, well, the thing is, and that is why it's so wonderful to actually work so closely with your husband, Berta and Carl, they kind of together came up with, uh, with the Ligroin. So Carl was actually thinking about what, what fuel could this engine run on? And then Berta, uh, unrelated, was actually uh, reading him a newspaper article, actually a very gruesome one, because there was a woman who had, um, who was unfortunately, that's a terrible story, because the woman actually burned, uh, her had her whole house uh, burned down and she also died because she had handled ligroin, which is also called washing benzene. And so um, uh, Berta is, is reading this uh, newspaper article out loud and Carl says, Ligroin, we should use that. <laughs> and so that is then why Berta remembers that this engine runs on the so-called Ligroin, which you in America would call washing benzene. And where did you where do you get this? Because this was actually a very uh, well known stain remover, and you get it at the pharmacy. And that is why in Wiesloch they stop at the pharmacy there. Also, a very cute story. They come in there. They of course are because of the fact that they have been driving for hours. They're very dusty, a little bit dirty, and so the pharmacist looks at them and says, mm -hmm, who are you? <laughs> and then Berta says, um, do you have liquorine? And he says, sure. And then, of course, he remembers, yeah, sure, because they, they really need um, uh, a stain re remover, these, these people with their very dusty outfits. And so then he gives her, he hands her this little tiny bale, no, little, uh, what is a bile? Um, uh, yeah, a little con container, basically, of liquorine. And Berta says, no, 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 I want 
all of you the cream. And he says, what? You, you don't look so terribly dirty. And she says, no, no. How much cream do you have? And he said, a little bit more than two gallons. And she said, good, give me that because we need to have that. We need to have fuel. And so she gets all the cream. And the cutest thing about this whole story is that nowadays that pharmacy is still in business in Wiesloch and they have a little plaque you know, right next to their entrance uh, door. And it says, world's first gas station. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then um, afterwards, of course, unfortunately, it is becoming hilly. And so that's why the three PS vehicle can't do anything. So they have to push it up. So a uh, little Richard is actually uh, steer, steering. He has the best job, so he can steer. And uh, Berta and Eugen are pushing up the incline. And that is when uh, Berta is actually telling her sons, remind me to tell your father to add another gear to the car and more horsepower. So that, of course, is also such a great thing. What a pioneer, because she actually, because of her, you know, because Carl Benz, of course, will do that afterwards. And because of her, now all of our cars have, you know, more gears and also, of course, much more, many more, they have much more horsepower. So then, of course, what goes up must come down. They are, uh, of course, then um, they have very flimsy brakes, unfortunately. And they have um, a, the, the leather lining on the brakes is rather small. You know, it's, it is, it's, it's not as thick as it could be. And Berta also realizes this and says, this isn't great. We need thicker leather lining. And then uh, they actually are coming to a little uh, tiny town of Neulingen. And there they have a shoemaker. And that shoemaker, Berta goes to the shoemaker and says, can you help me uh, line uh, these, these brakes um, with like uh, thicker leather? And then he does it. And of course, uh, everybody is very elated. And then, of course, people in Neulingen are looking at this vehicle and are like, what? is this woman what is happening <laughs> oh and then they the car really has problems in terms of there's this one moment where the fuel line is clocked and then um, Eugen you know 15 years old is saying what are we going to do now we have no way of repairing this the fuel line is clocked and we will we, we, we just have to kind of sit, sit here now for the rest of our lives <laughs> and Berta says um, yeah, let me think about this. And so the thing is that Berta uh, uh, has a hat. And then she's realizing that this hat has a hat pin. She takes out the hat pin. And with that, they remove the blockage in that fuel line. So that is a, a genius idea. She was but, so resourceful. Yeah, she was so resourceful. And the most resourceful actually was when the 15-year-old, when, when Eugen is realizing there's another big problem, and that is because the car suddenly stops and it won't go any further. And then Eugen reaches into the, the interior there and he's realizing he's broken, uh, he's kind of pulling out a broken spring cable. And that's a problem. I mean, if you don't have a spring cable, you know, and he says, that, well, that's obviously it. You know, now we, we, we can't go on. And Berta, undaunted, <laughs> walks into some bushes that she sees, some shrubbery. She walks into this. 
she comes out with, and I kid you not, her garter belt. <laughs> and then with the garter belt, they're actually able to repair these that's broken bring a spring cable. And that is just, it's just such an incredible story. And uh, so now, of course, it's like, it's evening, you know, they have been, I, I always say this, this entire trip was about uh, 16 hours. So it's basically 62 uh, miles in 16 hours. So we could basically, we, we could have, if we would have, have like a bicycle or if we would have been really good walkers, we could have walked next to them basically because it wasn't, it wasn't great. But I mean, how incredible for the times, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And she not only had to go one way, she had to turn around and drive back home, right? Right. And this this other way, you know, the, the way back home was pretty uneventful. So that was really also quite uh, quite wonderful. But then when they arrived in Fortsheim, uh, it was evening. And so um, they, they didn't want to bother Berta's mom, you know, because it was already like 10 p.m. or so. And so that's why they decided to stay at a hotel, at the best hotel actually in Fortsheim which shows us that they, again, they are in a better financial position. And so then, um, uh, the, but of course, of course, Berta knew that she had to um, kind of yeah, tell Carl, you know, uh, so that, that they have arrived or so. So they actually went to the telegraph's office. And so she didn't want to uh, say too, too much, you know, because she kind of knew what she had done wasn't that kosher. And so she actually only said, we have arrived, stop. <laughs> so that was that. Uh, and Carl Benz later on wrote his memoirs. So when he was in his 80s and uh, in his memoirs, he actually says that he was at first a little bit miffed about the foolhardy idea of his family members. But then he also adds that, that when he got the telegram that everybody was okay and that everybody was happy, he was so elated that nothing had happened to his runaways, as he called them. <laughs> And he also called them my empiricists because they figured out, you know, how to uh, drive an automobile over a long distance. And, you know, you wouldn't believe it, but Berta's mom, after all that, it turns out the next day, she wasn't even in town. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Berta's, one of Berta's little sisters had had a child. And so she was out of town for the entire five days that Berta and the boys were uh, spending there uh, in Fortsheim. And so then uh, they come back to um, to Mannheim and uh, yeah, everything is great. Uh, there were some newspapers who were writing about it, but one also has to say it wasn't really as if um, now, you know, this this wasn't a watershed moment at the time. I mean, we now, over a hundred and whatever years later, we are realizing what an amazing deed that actually was. But people were still saying, you know, she's a little crazy. We have our horses and so on. So it really... Uh, and, you know, what, what was also what I also love was that um, a little bit later, she finds herself pregnant yet again. <laughs> so she's, oh, my word. She's 40 and he's 45. And now they have Ellen. And I love Ellen because Ellen comes around, you know, she's totally oblivious <laughs> because she's like, wait, you were once living in a shed 
too bad for you. <laughs> you know, I am actually, I'm actually living in a mansion. <laughs> yeah. And that in Germany nowadays, and this is maybe um, uh, also some, something that your listeners uh, love or would enjoy hearing, is that in Germany, we are so proud of, you know, Bertha Benz and this whole story of, his, of her amazing adventure that there is actually the so-called Bertha Benz Memorial Route and this traces back exactly all the roads that the three Benzes took in 1888. So people can actually drive it in their own Mercedes Benzes and can drive down the Bertha Benz Memorial Route. So that's very exciting. That is such an incredible story and one that I'm amazed I didn't know earlier. So it makes me think, what else don't I know? And I know <laughs> you spend a great deal of time speaking at many places and giving different lectures on the culture and the art and the history of your beloved Germany. What got you started in doing that? You do it so well. Is this just something that you do out of love? Or what, what got you started in doing that? It is my, my big passion, actually. When I was six years old, when I was in first grade, I would go to, to school and then I would come home and then I would have all my Barbie dolls, all my little teddy bears, sometimes even my alive dachshund, you know, my, I had a little dachshund. I would, I would sit them down in front of me and then I would, I would basically teach them what I had learned uh, this day in my own schooling. And so that is who I am. I am just like the born, born educator and I love it so much. And, um, and I also, you know, I have, as I said in the beginning, I have over 30 different topics. And of course, I love everything that has to do with Women's History Month. And I am also, I, um, I do have to say up until like two days ago, I was a Mercedes driver. I had for 15 years, I had a Mercedes SLK and I loved it so much. I loved it basically to death. Because uh, the entire undercarriage after 15 years was rusty, and it just it I just couldn't hold on to it anymore. Because every day another thousand dollars were happening there, and so yeah. But but I am determined. One day I'm going to have, of course, another Mercedes. Oh, Mercedes <laughs> will have to help you out with yes, that <laughs> after they hear your story about Bertha. <laughs> it's so well done. I thank you so much for joining us. What a wonderful recording for Women's History Month because Bertha Benz is amazing at any day, at any age, at any time. She is an inspiration. She's resourceful. She's bright. And she just went the way of her instinct and her intelligence. It's I incredible. Think, yeah. And what we have to say, though, is uh, she lived until she was 95. Wow. She lived until she was 95 and she uh, died two days after her 95th birthday in 1944. And an amazing, a long life, an incredible life and uh, what an inspiration for all of us. She absolutely is. Thank you so much, Annette. I am Thank so glad you. to have you on here. It's just a one wonderful thing to have you here on the podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you, and uh, thank you to everybody who's listening. 
This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with Annette Isaacs. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu slash podcast, or by searching for the Ollie at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends. Join us again next week for another episode.